0: All right, I want to welcome everybody to the first ever inaugural Project Horse Series podcast for 2018 for Lundahl Performance. I am uh, Jake Lundahl and I'm sitting here with my co-host, co-owner of our business, Luke Lundahl. So we're, I, I know we're very excited to get this project going. We're going to use this initial episode to talk a little bit about where we're at with it and a little bit of our vision for things and and whatnot. Um, but, you know, we were talking about this before we started going. We both, the reason why partly we want to do this is because we're such a fan and a listener of podcasts ourselves. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Like, it's, I almost couldn't get through my day sometimes if I didn't have my earpiece in or my headphones in the arena to listen to Dan Patrick or whether it's Joe Rogan. There's, you know, a lot of great informative podcasts out there. Uh, our goal for this is to hopefully have a horsemanship podcast that doesn't put you to sleep. <laughs> oh, no, And that's that's going to be a, a real challenge for sure. Absolutely. Know. Exactly. So, you know, we feel like, because I've talked to a bunch of people about this on social media and, and whatnot, it's almost like two groups of people are trying to hit. And you brought this up before to me as well. It's, you know, the amateur people that are still serious about wanting to get better and wanting to improve their horsemanship, and then kind of the same boat that we come from, which is the young professionals, right, like the uh, the up-and-coming yes, trainers, yes. the aspiring people. We've talked to so many that feel like there's not enough content out there geared on, you know, real tactics and training advice and stuff from this type of perspective. And so, just
1: spitballing ideas, you know, there's yeah. a lot of, there's and they're, they're very good, but there's a lot of, like, interview-style podcasts and just, you know... Asking some scripted questions and getting some answers and whatnot, but there's a
0: lot of philosophy stuff. Yes, which
1: is important and we'll do it's very some good. of that. Yes,
0: we'll we'll definitely do some of that. But we want to do a lot of uh, training tactics, a lot of exercises, like you said, spitball ideas that we're playing with, things we're experimenting with as we document this process, uh, and then Q and A will be a big one. Yes, like we're yes. going to start uh, taking questions off social media, and then. It'll be interesting. I don't know if we're going to use Google Hangouts, maybe Periscope via Twitter or Facebook Live. i do not worked out exactly how we're going to do this, but we really want to do live Q&A because nobody does it, and I think it would be a great way to bring a lot of value to people and be, keep things interesting because yes. live Q&A kind of puts you on the spot. Like If you're answering questions, and it's something that I really enjoyed and almost got off on, Uh, and so in the clinician side of things as far as our career journey you know is when I would be able to talk to people uh, and answer questions and at clinics kind of be put on the spot like that get to demonstrate various things we both struggle with communication as a general rule we're introverted but we've learned to almost embrace and enjoy that aspect of, of our career so that's another way we can kind of translate that into this format hopefully in an interesting way that brings value yeah we'll see
1: going will be forward. it'll be interesting to see where this goes forward you know this is kind of the the pilot so to speak you know we're kind of discussing what the whole idea is and where we want to go with this but really it kind of comes down to we don't know where this is really going to go and how it's going to evolve it kind of have to, just in the process of doing it and getting feedback from you guys, and we can kind of evolve this and streamline it into a really efficient and useful and entertaining podcast, You know, but right now we're kind of in the infancy stages feeling it out. Which is funny because we're almost on parallel tracks. With our career,
0: we want to document the process and evolution going forward. We don't claim to be expert horsemen. We're still learning, still evolving, and that's something I think we can bring value here too is not lording over people and acting like the experts all day, but and trying to enforce our our vision and our program on people, but sitting here in sort of a fireside chat or spitball session where we toss around ideas, we played with different things, we talk about what we like, what we don't like, and things we're making modifications to on exercises, approaches we're taking, like all that different kind of stuff that we would normally do over some beers or a plate of hot wings we want to kind of bring that dynamic feel to a podcast scenario so right um uh anyway so i think that that'll be it's great that we're doing that uh we're talking about the the training and the evolution of the actual horses themselves while documenting our own process going forward on like two parallel tracks almost and so This is a really nice convergence point. I hope that's what it becomes, is sort of a convergence of those things that we can use going forward. I think there will be a lot of good insights we can offer. Time will tell where this goes, but we want to keep things casual and fun, but provide a lot of useful info too. Right, right. So, uh, to start this off with, I thought it would be nice to give a brief overview of the initial, the first two horses that we've got in the program coming right now. Uh, We are doing our project horse series. Obviously we have our performance horse Ambitions and things on one side and the project horses on another which we want like your average type horses more Relatable type horses in the case of these first two that we've got These will be used for like youth showing and and things like that correct correct uh, The owners uh, is it granddaughter granddaughter? Yes, uh, who's going to be riding these horses primarily Um, and we felt they were a good representation of the typical training type horses that we get on a regular basis and there's different insights we can offer because there are two different horses with two different personalities uh, and we're kind of going to document the problems we encounter and also the successes we have with them going forward but Luke you're primarily riding both these horses Luther and Tangle at this point Um, and just to give people some context, we we're up here in Nebraska. Obviously, it's cold. Okay, <laughs> we get. In fact, we're under a Arctic blast uh, currently. After a couple days of a break, but in our area where we're at, you know, um, people being able to have an indoor facility that's really spacious, it's it's not a reality for most people. But we're lucky enough to where the owner of these horses has a smaller indoor arena. Yep. Um, that it's a good space to work but it's challenging in a way because you have to be creative with with playing with things and not getting stuck in a rut to where you're just boring the horse to death exactly so um, talk a little bit about uh, Luther to start off with what you like about this horse and what you don't like um, so far and kind of recap the you know the first couple days that you uh, came in contact with him, sort of what you felt, what you did during those first few sessions to kind of feel him out, uh, and what you like and don't like about him as a horse. Right. Well,
1: Luther is a uh, three-year-old gilding um, He's uh, first thing you'll notice about him is he's got some size to him. He's he's tall, tall, he's tall, tall, yes. he's, tall. <laughs> he's a little <laughs> taller than what than what I would prefer for sure. I have nothing wrong with. A, you know, a little 14-hand, 14, hand, 14 two horse. I mean, that's just perfect for me. But this thing, you almost need to get, like, one of those man lifts to get up into the stirrup. He's so well, damn tall. Well, you, you
0: need one of those mounting blocks. That, it's not a block. It's like a mounting staircase yes.
1: <laughs> to crawl up Pretty the much. entire side yeah. of him. Yeah, that's what it feels like. So, um, Somebody get the chair picker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, so he's a three-year-old gelding, and he's had... Roughly a year previously of riding um main, you know, really just getting a good foundation. That was his previous experience. He had a lot of groundwork done with him and a lot of um, work under saddle with the the basics, the foundations so you, type. Of would things. it be fair to say that he's
0: got a really good, solid, like fundamental or foundation level of training? Um, but he just hasn't had. He hasn't really moved out of that like he's he's had a really solid foundation but he's not been exposed to anything at a higher level yet
1: right right you know i'd say that that's fair enough um but uh as far as his foundation he's had a good foundation in the respect that you know he handles pressure really well he knows not to, to panic his way out of the situation he's when he was young and that mind was moldable like Plato. he you know, and he was looking for the boundaries and what the rules are. He was shown um, when, you know, the basic concepts of, when I pull, you give. When you're in a, in a bind, don't fight your way out of it. Think your way out of it. Those necessary to... things he was taught as a young horse. So that has been very easy moving into more advanced training now um, because he's had that good foundation. He's, he's had
0: a ton of lateral flexion, a lot of, you know, flexing left and right. Um, a lot of bending, uh, mm-hmm. and so and just a lot of general riding as exactly, well. Exactly, exactly. So when you when you initially you said you um, you were talking to me, of course, before that you did maybe a day with ground day of
1: groundwork with him. Is that right? Yeah. In kind yeah. of preparation. I did did a, a you know first day just feeling them out because they'd had previous riding and work. Um, I wasn't too worried about you know getting bucked off or anything crazy like that. But I wanted to do my safety checks first and I would rather waste 30 minutes of doing groundwork for nothing than just, oh, be a cowboy, hop on. And yeah, and think, well. you <laughs> get exactly, dumped. Exactly, yeah. you know, because then you're just, a, you look like a fool if that happened. It was all for not, nah. you, you know, just let your ego control. I don't need that groundwork business. You know, I think there's a lot of value in that. But I did the safety checks and everything was good. And I also noticed doing it, that he's had just the way he did the groundwork. He had, he almost did it kind of like with a glazed look on his face. Like, <laughs> all right, here we go. I know the drill, you know, with everything. And so because of that, and because we're in this indoor arena that has heat, uh, which is such a blessing. Oh, yes. Um, Even but, though it's a small area. But because it's so small, um there's no point in me continuing the groundwork every day because there's nothing I can do to engage him mentally and do more or improve anything in a way that's going to stimulate him and make him enjoy his job more. He, he knows what what's expected it so well. That, and he's got uh, the foundation there. Like It's not yeah. like there's something that I have to work on that's a problem. Exactly. So it's, for him, I get the most value uh, for using his energy for riding. Because when I get on him, I don't need ten minutes to get him to pay attention and work the fresh off of him. He's ready to go. You know, exactly. When I bring him out of the stall, he's got a great mind, good attitude, so I can go right to business without much trouble. But just to cut in before you get into
0: more about him and, and what you were feeling under saddle, I just want to make a quick point because it's something we talk about so much, which is there's like this scale almost or teeter-totter of – people on one side don't do enough groundwork they just cowboy it up and get exactly. get on you know and and uh, oftentimes they get away with stuff especially with we really well bred horses they'll get lucky but every so often I have a horse that kinda calls her bluff and that's when you get dumped on your head you know yes. and have problems happen or there's the people that we've met and it happens more on the sort of the the amateur horseman side it's like the the pros do too little as a general rule, if you're going to fault them anywhere, that's usually the case, whereas the people that are more in the clinician realm that do clinics, you know, that they're more on the amateur side, they almost do a lot of overkill of, like, foundation, fundamental level groundwork. Like, I've I've known people who, they'll saddle up their nine-year-old gelding and still round pin it as if it's a right. cult, you right. know, in its first two weeks. Like, you got to move on, and I think you made a really valuable point that... You can get to a certain point where, if you're limited by space like we are, and you can't create new things to do to stimulate this horse's mind, it's going to be a detriment if you just keep pounding on the same stuff. Exactly, exactly, for sure, for sure. So, um, and that's kind of what you felt under saddle too, right? Like he's he's had a lot of softening, he's had a lot of foundation, obviously. But walk us through what you felt the first
1: few times that you rode him. Yeah, it's very, very similar in a lot of ways under saddle. He had a great foundation, and he knows all the basics, but he knows them so well that he's kind of always anticipating on, anticipating, and kind of on autopilot in a way, just ca- kind of rambling a bit. And he's super broke loose in his head and neck, but not really from his shoulders on back. Mm-hmm. So what I've been trying to do with him now is after I felt him out for the first couple rides, I kind of came up with a game plan, because he's had so much of that, you know, basic or foundation level training. I'm trying to now find ways to push him forward out of that into some more, you know, new territory. Yeah, new territory, yeah. basically. Um, but raise it's, the bar a little it, bit. Exactly, exactly. Find ways to, to raise his bar, but at the same time. There, all, if there was a criticism that I had to, you know, maybe go back and and fix with a horse like this is just get him kind of out of that, you know, automated mindset of left, right, left, right, up, down, you know, soften here, soften there. Like he's mm-hmm. always trying, looking for ways to get soft and bend his neck around and overdo all the time. Because he's expecting that. Come here, come here, come here. Are you, are you still soft? Are you still... You know, always checking. Always right. checking. Is, are you still giving? Are you still giving? So, you know, having to try and smooth that out and get him to have a little less... Um, try is really the kind of the word I'm looking for. Or like overreactive. Wants- overreactive, yeah. yes. Or try. Like, he's giving me, like, 150% all the time, you know, trying to bend left and right, trying to get ahead of what I'm asking him. If I go to slide my hand down the rain. I get a couple inches and he's already on my toe. Right. I let it loose and he either stays there and keeps walking a circle or he heads the other way without me even asking him. Stuff like that. I want to just, you know, you don't have to do that. Just hang out there, buddy, you know?
0: Exactly. And I saw you, you know, like um, you were working on a little bit more body control. We'll get into that deeper, like the specific tactics you were doing Uh, next episode. I want to break new ground in that area. We're kind of talking about generalities here, but... um, you, you'd kind of like you said you, you're almost expecting him to be less an, and you know anticipate you less in ways be able to take a hold of him and it's not like he's overreacting negatively not, like he's not afraid of you picking up on him. It's just like he's he's so almost pre-programmed in a way that you're, you're having to like redirect him in ways and just kind of play around with different stuff. To try to mentally engage him so he's not on autopilot, um, but not like push the
1: bar too far either. Exactly. It's not like he's being bad when he's doing stuff like this. You know, he's just, he's had a lot of, especially in the head and neck, a lot of suppling and lateral movements. So it's not like he's being bad. He's just, he's trying to figure out the right answer for what he knows. So Mm -hmm. if I were to be aggressive and fault him for that, It would be a disaster. Exactly. But it's been about trying to get him to have a little less of that anticipation with everything that I'm about to do through his head and neck. It's like there's almost two two separate horses that I'm riding. I've got the head and neck, which is on one game plan, of just chill out and just hang out there and don't be so overreactive. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, from the shoulders on back, I need that to get a little bit more reactive to my legs because he... He understands how to move his head and neck around and get that really soft and I can pull it around in my toe no problem. But he doesn't really understand how to move his body and coordinate that. You know, it's almost like wherever his his head and neck are on one track, but his rear end from his shoulders on back is kinda hanging out there loose and lost in a way. Yeah. Does that make yeah. sense? Like
0: you you talked to me before and we'd mention you know, we discussed how he In some context or based on what you're doing he either doesn't know how to really come together as a complete package drive up underneath himself you know drive up to the bridle and stay together and underneath you with his body and then there's other times where you want to break those body parts loose and he's just not sure where you're
1: wanting him to go with certain things well yes I would say you know a good indicator of that as well is you know if you asked me How he rode the first couple days, I would say that he was really stiff through his body, super super supple in his head and neck, but very clumsy, like Mm -hmm. walking and jogging around. Yeah, you know, um, trying to bend him around, like let's say to the right was is his worst way. And yes, he'd walk a circle with his nose on my toe, but he wouldn't really soften and bend that rib cage around my leg. And so when I try to move that rib cage and that hip off my leg he would step around and just kind of like flop and flumble. It doesn't look as bad like if you see it on the video, but it feels bad. Yeah. And he's like just stumbling around and that's really just him not understanding how to, how carry, to himself. carry himself in yeah. a proficient manner. Yeah. And, and I think that's the best way to put it is that they just when they're that way and they don't understand how to maneuver their body, they they just feel clumsy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so that's one of the biggest things is in the past week he's made a lot of improvements with that and I can notice a big, big change. But the first couple of days, you would think, well, this thing is doesn't have very much coordination or he's kinda of clumsy. Well it's not really that, it's just he doesn't know how to hold himself in a proficient manner. Exactly. And you pointed
0: out, and that's something that we're gonna try to delve into deeper and and almost if we have to invent new terminology on how to articulate is Like you mentioned before, we'll go into this deeper as we go with further episode, obviously, but like you mentioned how he will, for example, you take him left or right and he's, you know, almost leaving you to the outside of the circle with that shoulder, but yet he's almost turning his rib cage kind of awkwardly. Now, if you watch that on video, and this is where training DVDs fall a little bit short is if you watch that compared to when it feels good to the rider, there's not a lot of difference visually on video. Not a whole so lot. So what we're asking people to do is is to kinda, you know, think about it in terms of, of feel and what you're almost feeling as a rider. Like there's not blatant times often where you'll see him like he feels like he's twisting his ribcage awkwardly or he's being very stiff. And on video it'll be very subtle or not even that apparent.
1: But we're talking about the feel of what things. And that's the difficult part, like, you know, at least in my experience, watching a lot of videos and, you know, even like attending somebody's clinic or something and watching that and hearing what they're talking about. It's difficult to see what they're doing and then put it into practice. And, well, you know, this seems to be what I saw. But really, as you're doing exercises like this, you have to, like, really be self aware and go through, like, mental checks of, you know trying to ask yourself well what am i really feeling here yes and g- kind of go through a checkpoint through the horse's whole body and all right can i feel what the shoulder is doing right now can i yeah. feel what the rib cage is doing and you almost have to force yourself to think about each individual part of the horse's body and what you think it feels like to almost train yourself to learn this new feel yes like if you know train yourself to because it's it's and we're getting into, like, the the stuff we always joke about, like, the, <laughs> this magical realm of, yes, um, you, have to like, get, you know, through the to get to the outside of the horse, you have to go through the inside, oh, all that business, com- you know? Yeah. We're getting into that, which is dangerous, <laughs> and I don't want to sound like that. Well, well the, the risk you run into is you have that to, you... Basically, what I'm trying to say is you have to, like, teach yourself to understand what you're feeling. It's well, not... And you that's, know. that's the thing. Like you,
0: you have to be aware of that stuff and it's, it's a process that you go through and, and it's the trying to do that. That is the, that's the process to learn. Like you can't be shown on a video. If you're just visually recreating what you see, uh, and you're turning a, you know, you're not focusing on anything else. You won't develop that yeah. that feel. Um, but the risk in talking about this stuff is that you
1: sound super pretentious like i yeah. there's I no there's no voodoo witch doctor witchcraft going on no. here though. it's it's you have you really just have to go out there ride try things you try to create what you see and what you hear and hopefully what we can do is maybe you know through just talking about this kind of open up some sort of a, a window where you're like huh, i've re- i've never thought about it that way and you go out and ride your horse and just try to analyze what the horse is doing in the moment mm-hmm. and what, what rather than worry about if what you're feeling is right or wrong, just go with that and see what result you get from that. Because really the only way you can learn that feel is really kind of through experiment and trial and error. Yeah, like with this, with this horse, if, if
0: somebody more amateur was riding it, we would probably tell them, you know, do the bending exercise, but try to use your legs and your hands you know bridle him up obviously but try to use your legs to pick him up and get him to drive up to the bridle and bring his hindquarters up underneath instead of having him just kind of trailing out behind you like a caboose you know or i wish like something that i have that just came into my mind is is there was this buckskin horse i used to have big sort of barrel-chested thing, right? and I remember watching DVDs on the bending exercise and lateral flexion and this and that, and I'm like, okay, so I go out and try to recreate that myself, and technically, visually, he was doing the exercise, but it always felt a bit awkward, like I was kind of always getting washed to the outside of his rib cage. He was always, looking back at it now, it's very clear of what he was doing. He wasn't truly soft. He was always you know, leaning his shoulder to the outside, and he would almost rotate his ribs awkwardly and stiffly, so that I was always off kilter a little mm-hmm. bit. Like he was not being truly soft through the rib cage, and but I just hadn't had anyone told me. No one told me to be aware of, you know, trying to feel that. I just figured, you know, he's going in a circle with his nose tipped. That's what it shows on the video, exactly. like that's good enough.
1: And know? I think that that's a good point you just made there is no one that are t- you articulated that way better than me fumbling around trying to make a point there is <laughs> that no one had told you to be aware yes. of that feeling. that was a big breakthrough for me. Is you know, yes, I had horses that would so- that I thought were softening their ribcage and walking a circle and being soft, but really they were just had their neck bent around and were just walking a circle, but not even softening a bit mm-hmm. from their shoulders on back and once Someone told me to you know mentally be aware of that then you could the the challenge yourself
0: yeah to go like People cannot just gift you feel like they can't you know on Facebook Messenger like you can send money They can't like send you feel they can't put together a video that will get you the feel that you need to uh, to really know what we're talking about but if we can articulate it in some way, and then get even one person out there to just try to be a—it's—it's it's the awareness. It's a game of awareness. Yes, it's if you're aware that these things are in play, you can then challenge yourself yes. to figure out what you're feeling. Exactly. And you can only learn through through the doing, through the trying of it. Exactly. So it's. And, and trainers fall into and we are trying to avoid this because I, I said before we're not trying to pass ourselves off as these master horsemen but um, you know trainers fall into this trap of you know uh, well just you know do something different like you know this is what it ought to look like here um, just you know work on it till you can get to that and I understand that it's difficult to put feel into terms that You know the the more amateur people can eat up and consume and understand but at least if you can challenge people on the on an awareness level that these are concepts and things that are in play as they're working that they need to be thinking about they can go play with and experiment and try and feel out this stuff and learn it because whether you're riding at a really low level or like us you are lucky enough to get exposed to high-level horses it's the same across the board like you don't come into that situation with that feel established. You no. just have to do it and learn as you go and you'll never be perfect at it, but it's in the trying and in the striving that you'll make progress. It's you know the lack of awareness and not even considering that these things are in play, that's where you are kind of stuck. That's where you find yourself stuck exactly. and and not able to interpret any of this. So um, hopefully, as we go along, you know, uh, we want to keep this relatively short. We're going to break down more training tactics in the next episode. But very briefly, with the time we have left, I want you to contrast what you just said about Luther and especially his mindset with the mayor, Tangle. Uh, Tangle. Tangle, yes. yes.
1: <laughs> Tangle, tangled up with Tangle's name right there. Um, yes, Tangle is a five year old mayor who's had a lot more riding. Um, she had did a little bit of youth showing here and there. And, um, she is, you know, as far as experience level for having two more years riding on her, she's really, I would say, behind Luther in a lot of her riding. And a lot of that is due, like you mentioned, to her mindset. Mm-hmm. She's had a lot of concentrated training, a lot of, and it's been all about... Keep your head put down. Put your head down yeah. and hop around super slow. Like, yeah. you know, her lope has evolved... From a lope to, like, this really short hop. Hopping trope, almost. And, so like, I mean, I guess to put it into into words, like, her attitude, um, the first day that I got on her and went to walk her off, as soon as I bumped her with my calves to ask her to walk forward, her first reaction was to throw her head down, like, push it down towards the ground, and go, eh. Yeah. Yeah, And just soul up. Like there was no, so, there was no like you know aggressive or bucking or anything like that. It was more just sulking up and hiding. From exactly. It. Yeah. You know. Yes. Rather than just walk forward, as soon as she felt that leg pressure, she just associated that with, oh, tighten up my body, lock my neck down, and stay there. And rather than just free up and walk forward, like she has this, you know, kind of denial type mm-hmm. of an attitude. Like <laughs> no, whatever. I'm just not gonna pretend you're there. I can't hear you. No, 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 no. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so that's kind of, you know, her attitude, I would say, is attributed a lot of that. A lot of that concentrated training. Not letting her go anywhere. Not um, letting her, you know, just free up and be a horse. And it's just been head down, lope super slow. And but part of that's her natural attitude, too. Like,
0: she... The part some a lot of that might have been in the training, but you can't discount that a lot of horses' personalities are kind of like that kind of anti And that's the big thing. That's the yeah. big thing. Like,
1: yes, there 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 is a lot to be said about um, you know a program or a trainer or a horse that's been ridden so hard or so much that it just hates its job mm-hmm. and has an attitude like this mare. You know, when I first started riding her, the first couple days, you lope her off. And, she's, and she lays her ears back, and she, like, looks back at your leg, like, all, you know, like a snake, just, uh, you know, with this <laughs> mad look on her face, and she does it, but she was very, you know, she wanted to let you know that she was she not approve of this. Yeah. Exactly. And so there's a lot to be said about, you know, that being just a symptom of a cause, and the cause is, you know, an aggressive trainer or, you know, pa- drilling on the same things too much, but... Something that you know a lot of people don't talk about, and it is just as much a factor. A factor, yeah, is and just as important is there are a lot of horses as well that have very low ceilings for what they put up with and low ambition. Low like ambition. They're, they're not willing to offer you a lot of effort yes. and try hard for you. Exactly. You know? There's there are there's very much so some horses that get in that get into training and you know they maybe the the horse that you know was bred at home and the family pet or whatever and then it gets two weeks into training and you uncover this demon that was hiding in there you know <laughs> there's there's just some horses that are that way they have a very low ceiling for what they are willing to put in as far as work and you never really know until you start exposing that exactly horse pressure exactly yep um and that's pressure that's okay that was another thing for this horse in particular is Exposing her to pressure. So the foundation this horse had I'm I'm sure played a a big part in this as well Because she it's a bit of a shaky foundation She was tiptoed around a lot as a young horse when she didn't know what the rules were She was looking for someone to kind of set the parameters looking for her to be kind of molded into what she would be in the future She everything was kind of tiptoed around and avoided and so this mare has no concept of Handling pressure. Of
0: working through problems
1: and stiff spots and Exactly, yes. And so her answer has always been, fight her way out of a situation, you know, Mm -hmm. or at least if if the fighting doesn't work, at least, you know, responding the way the trainer wanted, but with a very nasty nasty attitude attitude about doing it, you know. And so that's something that with her I've had to, you know, work on a lot is her game plan really is... Just get her freed up she does you know rather than hopping around all tight and pissed off, just let her go somewhere and you know Travel. just hang out and let me let me ride you without this you know constant snarly look on your yeah. face you and know? when and when you
0: go to pick up or hint, you know it's like when I go to pick up or handle you, I'm not looking for a
1: fight right. either and that's you know really what I'm doing as far as like you know any body control or softening, it has while it may look like I'm trying to, you know, work on body control and soften a rib cage, well, that's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is trying to ingrain new habits of when I ask you to do this or when I ask you to do this or when you feel pressure, that's really all this comes down to. Her program is find ways to show her, not make her, not tell her, but this horse in particular, show her that when I put pressure on you. You don't need to overreact, just just mm-hmm. think your way through the situation. And so the game, would you say that this is a fair estimation,
0: is you're putting the horse in just enough of a bind that it gets her mentally activated and gets her juices flowing, but it's not such a bind that you create a huge fight. You're letting her get little wins as you go forward.
1: Exactly. And like this horse, is its is it gonna be a, you know, reigning horse that can slide to a stop and spin around plus one? Highly doubt it. Yes, you know, but um, but could she be a nice horse for uh, you know youth showing or a 4H? Probably, maybe ra- we'll see. We could definitely we'll raise the bar for where she's is at. There, is there is there a point to me stopping her and spinning her? I think so because this is something for this horse. It's totally new training concept. Again, we're in a confined area. There's only so much that I can do with this horse. Again, with her as well. I'm not worrying about the groundwork because she has some fairly solid amount of groundwork there. And there's a lot more attitude that comes out on the ground than there is under saddle because she's had so much more groundwork than she's even had riding, which yep. is, you know, so that kind of puts into perspective how much previously this horse has had done. Um but, um, but anyway, so you
0: were saying that, you know, you, the game plan with this horse anyway, going forward, just to boil it down. Cause I know we're kind of, <laughs> we're running out of time a little bit here, but, the game plan going forward we've got this horse we're kind of you know because a lot of people would look at you turning that horse around a little bit or like starting the basics of it or doing you know playing with other body control exercises and they'd be like well what's the point of it and so you're making the point of that we're trying to
1: create new mental territory for this horse and yes trying yes. to create new and I want to hold you to that spot right there. Do not forget that little <laughs> tangent because that is – you got me – I got off in this little rabbit hole and then totally lost my train of thought. So, and then you were able to bring me back, which is commendable. I'm trying. but I'm yes. throwing out a life preserver right now. Exactly. 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 And I'm, I'm flailing around for this life preserver. But So, anyways, what you're just saying about, you know, why – what's the point of the turnaround and the stops? And so, before I got lost in that rabbit hole – What I was trying to say is that this is new things that she hasn't been exposed to, so it keeps it more interesting, but at the same time, you know, the turnaround or asking her just to, you know, stop or more so plop. You know, I wouldn't really call this a stop just yet. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We're creating new exercises here. But it's more so about finding new ways to put her in a situation that she is unfamiliar with and retrain her to think her way through it rather than just assume there's going to be a knockdown drag out fight. Rather rather than just automatically overreacting
0: to pressure or new things, you're kind of creating the mental habit for her to just relax,
1: let you handle her a little bit and work through things. Like, yes. And that was, you know, there's no, with her right now, there's, you know, there's no exercise plan. There's no set rules that I'm following right now. It's just trying to retrain her mental habits and her expectations she's expecting you know struggle and fight with everything with every new obstacle that's approached to her rather than thinking a way out of it you know she it's like her you know walking up to a, a hurdle and rather than just you know seeing that she can just turn and walk a few steps around it and keep walking she assumes that I want her to jump over it every single time. Right. And so it's like this mad fight to get her to finally jump over it and then continue on her merry way when I'm really just saying, hey, there's a hurdle there, but why don't we just walk around it and keep going on down the track? Mm-hmm. And it's a balance between, you know, trying to
0: instill that new mindset, but also not hide from problems either. And that's where a little bit of, of feel comes in as a horseman is you put her in just enough of a bind to get her to challenge her a little bit but not make it so difficult or expect so much in the beginning that it's way more than she can handle. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, anyway. And I think
1: as well, you know, going back to not hiding from problems. That's another thing that she's a good horse for this project yes. is because you look at her, she's not aesthetically pleasing at all. No. That, that no. those ears are back, that tail's moving. And, you know, it's so easy for someone to see the screenshot and just say, Oh look at that. He's just going after with his spurs and making this horse all mad and whatnot. No. It's his fault. This horse yeah. this horse has had these problems and this is a relatable horse. We've seen this time and time again. Yes. You know, when we used to go and, and you know, travel around and do clinics and stuff like that. Yes. And now that we're doing that again, we're going to see that a lot more. And it's a very much a problem that you know no one really addresses or sweep it under the rug or whatever and we're trying to you know show this to you guys because this is a relatable scenario yes absolutely it's something that is this something that I like no I don't like seeing it but it's reality and it it's something important that I think to document so exactly. I think in a lot of ways we got lucky on a horse like this for what we're doing it pr- pr- exactly right and that's something you
0: know just two final points here i guess uh to finish this off is that number one it's kind of risky for us to do this because like you said people don't like to look at it but this is a horse that you're gonna see out in the real world a lot of people own these type of horses a lot of people have horses with negative attitudes that you know due to holes in their foundation or whatever that plus a combination of attitude whatever is that they go to try to introduce new things and they get this attitude and then just you know, like looking at us in the past as, as young horsemen, we were always so intimidated by that because we figured that it must be us and our fault completely, and we were afraid to work through things because of that negative attitude a little bit coming out in the horse. It's like we hadn't, and that, that's the second thing I want to, the second and last point I want to make is that a lot of people have unrealistic expectations where you're gonna, see these type of horses out in real life this is stuff you you know that you're going to face right especially as an up-and-coming horseman and you can't be intimidated by the sentiment that oh if the horse is acting a little penny eared or swishy tailed you know that's completely on you everything you're doing is wrong like you created this we it always scared us to death to, to even you know to try to push things further or work through problems because we were so intimidated up front, By the horse's negative reaction and we're trying to hopefully show people taking a little risk here but trying to show people that with horses like this yes there's a limit and a ceiling on what you're going to get out of them but still there's ways that we can raise the bar with this horse to you know hopefully make her attitude a little bit better make her a more productive citizen uh, and just you know have her in a better frame of mind all around even if she doesn't become a world champion. Exactly. I think it's a very relatable scenario we've got going. So we started out uh, with these two project horses. Hopefully we're gonna be adding more as we go forward. Yes. Um, and this is gonna be an ongoing project both on the horsemanship side of things and documenting our process as we learn and evolve as as you know, starting our own business this year. Um, I think we've got a lot of uh, valuable, you know, Insights and goals down the line that we want to hopefully get to with this. It's kind of in an infancy stage But we're trying so we're definitely trying to solicit feedback and questions We're going to start doing our Q&A just off of Facebook and social media questions Yes, hopefully build up to live Q&A and we want feedback positive or negative because we're learning we're growing We don't claim to have all this figured out. We're trying and and we're just just but we just want to do because we feel yeah. like we can bring some unique value, despite the fact that we're not world-renowned master horsemen. Exactly, exactly. So I'm gonna we're gonna wrap this up here. Our next episode we're gonna dig into more uh, a couple key training concepts. Uh, maybe answer a couple of questions. I hope this has been valuable, and I hope it kind of sets the tone going forward of what you guys that are listening. And we do thank you so much for listening. It means yes. a lot. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Hopefully this kind of sets the tone of what you can expect going forward. So without further ado, thank you for tuning in to the first episode of the Project Horse Series podcast, 2018. I'm Jake Lundahl, here for my brother Luke as well. We thank you for listening. Signing off. All right, welcome back to the project horse podcast i am yep. jake lundahl we're Hi. back this is luke here <laughs> we made it we made it to a second episode so um we've got a lot to cover today and, and this will be a little bit shorter episode we're gonna going forward kind of have a 30 to 35 minute format on these things and uh hopefully be able to post shorter videos and stuff like that and Um, We're going to do a lot of Q&A going forward as well, it's going to be a big part of the podcast and probably the first thing that we'll get to here. Um, But I just want to talk a little bit about, uh, I just got back as a matter of fact yesterday from a trip out to Ohio, I flew out there from Sioux City, Iowa, went by way of Chicago, so I had connecting flights and whatnot, did some visiting, rode some horses, everything was good. Um, and then made my way back, like I said, yesterday. Got in before the big snowstorm. Um, it's really pouring down right now, Right now. Really oh, coming down heavy. It is definitely <laughs> a bit of a flurry out there, I'd say, today. Yeah, big time blizzard. And uh, basically
1: slamming the whole Midwest right now. I think yes. it's going to keep snowing until like 5 p.m. tonight. I think so. But then in a couple of days, it's going to warm up and it's all going to melt. And so then we'll be sloshing around for a couple of days. Back in the mud. It's... So I arrived just in time for all
0: that, that fun. I so. um, But, you know, I've been talking to a few uh, people that have reached out to me, answering questions and whatnot, and that whole experience, there's a lot of, I could talk about in future episodes, but the main thing that stuck with me, I was thinking about this when I was sitting there in the airport, and just how I'm able to, when I travel, I basically have an office and everything that I need right there on my phone. Like, I can send emails, I can do invoices I can talk to customers and answer training questions like every little interaction I want to do with the people we work with I've got right there on my phone in the palm of my hand and they have a one one way you know almost direct line of communication with me if they need help or questions answered and whatnot. and then you know I'm somebody who I kind of know my limitations and where my talents are right and they do not lie in like scheduling a lot of math, a lot of figuring out itinerary and whatnot. I'm not the most organized person. But somehow, and this is how powerful technology's gotten from my phone, I was able to look up flights to get out to Cleveland, which is was my final destination on the round trip. Um, I was able to set flights up, book them, figure out the connecting flights and all the details, and pay for everything check in, get my boarding passes, put them in my Apple wallet on my phone, and then did my traveling while also working on stuff for our business. Mm -hmm. And then I come back and I see comments and things from people who are like, you know, I'd love to work with you guys. I wish you were based closer to me. Obviously, being in Nebraska, it's not the most strongest area for the
1: horse industry. No, no. But yeah, you're right. Like, we hear a lot, like... Oh shoot! Well, just today I got a couple of messages where you know, um, I re- you know, listened to the last podcast and you know um, enjoyed the videos. Looking forward to the training horse series, stuff like that. And too bad I don't live closer to you guys, or too bad you're not down here in Texas, or whatever. <laughs> you hear yeah, that a lot. It, it, you hear that a lot, and it's like, you know, on, on
0: one hand, I get that that people want trainers who are in their local area, but technology and the ease of travel has made it so convenient now to where somebody like, my, like me can coordinate cross-country trips to go work with people and their horses with ease. And I, you know, that round trip cost me like a few hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and it, it, it lasted a week. And just how powerful technology is and how, again communicating with us, training advice, problem solving. People literally have us, if, if you're talking to us in one of the many ways to communicate, social media, what have you, on your phone, you literally have us
1: in the palm of your hand. Well, that's, you know, the whole point of us doing this podcast and this video series as well is you, using the technology that's available and at hand to hopefully, you know, maybe bring some quality and some valuable information to a wide audience from, you know, around the world, really, not just here in the States, but, I mean, anyone can access this at any time from anywhere. And that's as pretty crazy.
0: Oh, yes. It's it's powerful. It's game-changing, and I don't think enough people in the horse industry recognize how powerful that really is. And hopefully, as this project goes forward and we get more and more content out there, which we already have decided we will never put behind paywalls, we'll never charge for bullshit memberships and access fees and all that other stuff. We want to have a, a flood of quality,
1: useful information out there for well free. Uh, really, you know, all the the things that we've learned and whatnot, it's kind of you know, um, and the people that took their time to help us and whatnot is kind of a way to, to pay it forward, but it's very slippery slope of putting out, you know, information like this and making it easy to access, but a lot of times, you know, the uh, shortcoming of that is then the quality is very low as in the very vague information that's kind of you know fits everything it's a one-size-fit-all type information and nothing really specific no one really you know steps their foot down on a hard line and says well i'm telling you to do this and i'm telling you to do that they kind of just keep everything vague like well you might you know do this and that everything's kind of wishy-washy and you know we hope to be able to give at least the way we see it and you know everyone has their opinion but we hope to give information that we are truly believe in and stand behind that is you know it's, it's where the quality of everything right now is very low you know I mean this as far as this um, you know speak this little speaker system we got and the video system it's all kind of low but what we're trying to do is keep the quality of the information incredibly high yeah and have things particularized not just give
0: generalities but give people real tactical advice and so definitely we're a work in progress you were working on the videos all last week and really trying to hammer those out Uh, they are in the works things are trickling out slowly it's just that we're we're not only learning and building the horse aspect of what we're doing we're figuring out the technology as well but we're trying we're striving we're making progress and hopefully we'll be able to continue doing that All right, let's get into our Big uh, Q&A segment here for this podcast. The main thing I wanted to talk about, and we'll spend about 10 minutes on this, Mm -hmm. is we have seen a, a rash of posts on social media, especially like horse training related Facebook groups and forums. Um, A bunch of people talking about how in the context of groundwork on the ground Yielding the horse's forequarters being able to push their head neck and shoulder away basically make the horse pivot away from you and Yield their front end and move it out of your way, right? Um, We've seen a bunch of questions and and problem stuff on that and a bunch of people uploading videos of themselves trying to do it and Over and over again, like there was like three or four videos that we saw that they were having the same basic underlying issues and the problems they were having were exactly the same, but the advice they were getting was lacking, I think, you know, they were getting some good advice, but it didn't really hit the nail on the head as far as what they really needed to be
1: focused on. Well, I thought there was a lot of good advice being given, for sure, but there I thought just, you know, me personally watching it, I thought there was one aspect that no one really addressed that I thought was a very important point. And that was basically,
0: these people were yielding the horse's forequarters and trying to push that front end away from them and make the horse pivot, but they were ending up out of position. What you want to do in that exercise is basically keep your body up in line with the horse's eye, up up by their head essentially. And you want to stay there as the horse pivots around, you walk forward and continue driving them around. But the, a lot of these people were ending up kind of washed back by the shoulder and you know, out of position to where they were completely ineffective and the horse was just walking out of the turn right. and whatnot. Right. And most of all, the horse was, rather than having energy and actually moving their feet, having energy in the feet, they were just turning their head and neck away and leaving those people
1: back by the shoulder you know unsure of where to be or what to do yes and the really like when we watched that we knew immediately that we had to use this on the podcast because both of us before we actually went out and got outside help and extra knowledge and stuff like that you know we read a lot of the books and watched dvds and stuff like that and we'd go out and try it with our own horses like you know everybody does and we were always ending up Out of position. Always back there by the shoulder. And, I mean, you could say medically diagnosed as chronically out of position. And so this really hit home, seeing these videos. And, you know, a lot of the advice they were getting was a lot of the advice that we saw in the books and the videos. Yes, people criticizing them for being out of position and not
0: getting to the root of the issue which is the fact that the horse is being lazy and not moving their feet. He's not connecting the cue upstairs up by his face. He's not connecting your hand
1: driving him away with put energy in the feet. Those aren't connecting together. Right, yeah, I mean, break down the exercise to what it is intended, and it's simple as, you're trying to teach the horse, when you apply pressure at his eye, he immediately connects that with move his feet. Exactly. And not turn his head and neck away, not turn, you know, not turn and look away from you. And then a couple steps by you later, then he eventually moves. It's, no, when he feels that pressure that with rhythm up by his eye, he immediately connects that with his feet. Yes. And what happens, kind of stereotypically
0: what we see with that exercise is people have a ton of slack in the lead rope. So the horse can just pull their front end away and right. turn their head and neck away. And these people you know, you want to be short enough, obviously you don't want to pull the horse on top of you, but you want to be short enough to where you can keep the head and neck relatively straight. It won't be perfect, but you don't want to just let them take their head and neck away like that. You want to be short enough that you've got a little
1: control there. Right. And I I mean, I think once you let them Get that head and neck turned away from you if it's too long like that well you've already lost your position yeah and no amount of Usain Bolt sprinting is going to get you back up there by his eye. well that's like even us being more
0: experienced than the people we saw that were posting videos it you know it doesn't matter how experienced you are you're not like even for us it'd be difficult to run and stay in position <laughs> like yeah once the horse does that when they're turning away from you and, and curving themselves away like that like a banana there's nothing you can do to catch back up to where you need to be. Right. But the point is that you shouldn't be thinking in that term, in those terms of trying to catch up and stay in position. It's more like make that horse straighten their body up, not just pull their head and neck away from you and actually get energy going in the feet. And you really broke down sort of um, that, that thought process like when you go to cue and if, you know, they turn their head and neck away versus if nothing happens, versus if they try to shoot forward. Like, you really broke that down well
1: when we talked about this. Um, so, okay, well, you're putting me on the spot now, so I'll do my best. <laughs> yes, but I think a simple guideline to go by, you know, um, would be when you apply pressure at the horse's eye, if the head and neck turns away from you, and that if the head and neck is the first thing to move, put it that way, if the head and neck is the first thing to move, then you need to get that training stick Get it vertical and work your way down its neck towards its shoulder and basically go as far to the shoulder as you need to go. You know, if you have to tap him on the shoulder and that is so close to the drive line that it's driving him forward so bad, then maybe you try in the middle of his neck. The point is basically you need to straighten that body up and get him to understand pressure his eye move his body over. So when as soon as you apply that pressure if the head and neck moves and the body doesn't then you need to get that stick up tap that body get it moving. but if you apply pressure up by its eye and nothing happens, the feet don't move, the eye doesn't or the head and neck doesn't move, then yes you in, you increase the pressure right there where you were at the eye. and if the horse goes to take a step forward which kind of like taking a
0: teaching a turnaround under saddle is not necessarily the worst thing that can happen now all you need to do is is the stick that you're holding um, you know in this case for example if you were on the horse's right side you'd have the rope in your right hand and the stick in your left right in other words you're always holding the rope with the hand closest to the horse's nose and if they went to shoot forward all you need to do is bring that stick up and put apply some pressure either in front of the horse's nose tap the clip uh, tap the horse's nose itself do something to get that horse to take a couple steps back and then go back to just asking uh, By the eye again and well, something that a lot of people were do- were saying though Is that if the horse even takes one step forward that you need to
1: like really massively overcorrect them and back them up like 10 to 15 Steps, right, right? Well, yeah That's a very good point that you brought that up because I think it's important to note that if the horse is making an honest mistake and they're walking out of it a couple steps Back him up a couple steps, try again. Back him up a couple steps, try again. Whereas if you immediately just aggressively you know, haul ass backwards, he's going to connect more of you applying the stick up by his eye with the punishment rather than what you're trying to teach him, which is just to mentally stay with you and yield that front end away. So if you immediately just straight out of the gate, go jerking on him and running him backwards... You're just setting the tone now, and he's going to be worrying about. Oh no! Is she going to get after me? He's going to be worried yeah. about that like, rather than the actual turn. Like any pressure up by their eye, when you do yes. go to actually ask, ask them to run step backwards,
0: over. yes. And we've we've dealt with that problem a lot of horses trying to suck back out from yeah. under your pressure and haul ass backward rather than. Simply like stepping forward isn't the end of the world. You just no. got to redirect that energy and set the exercise up again. Yeah, and if
1: he's belligerently running forward or through your through your um, stick and you know into your space, yes, you have to do that. But for most horses, they're just making an honest mistake that is too much pressure to go right off the bat. Because when you first start teaching the exercise, they don't have it in
0: their mind of where exactly their feet need to go. They're kind of looking for direction. They haven't sort of,
1: you know, gotten the exercise yet. It's not ingrained, just like, you know, making that turnaround under saddle. And that's, yes, and that's one last quick point I'd like to make about it too, is it's so similar to the turnaround under saddle in the ways of getting that body straight Put them in the position that they need to be in but also if he walks out of it that turn on the ground when you apply that pressure closer to that driveline not a bad thing it's almost like a turnaround under saddle if he walks out of that turn it's actually a good thing because it's just exposed a problem that when you apply pressure whether it's on his back with your leg or on the ground with your stick by his shoulder when you apply that pressure he just leaves it because he's not mentally with you and he's not mentally dialed into that maneuver. So really, that's just exposing a hole that you can go back and fix. Because yeah. if the horse is doing the exercise right, if you tap him there on the shoulder or on the neck with that stick, he will immediately associate that with straightening his body up and, and continuing that turn. Yes, that's a huge point and I
0: guess probably a good place to wrap it up yeah. on is that and this translates both on the ground and under saddle as well, moving that shoulder over, is that if you've taught this consistently enough and practiced it consistently enough to where you start off small, you get one, then two steps consistently build from there, um, if that horse understands where he needs to put his feet and he understands that maneuver and what's expected and what's coming, then you don't have to be so picky and precise about where you're applying that pressure. You still right. wanna make the correct cue, but the horse's reaction then becomes that when you increase pressure, they already know what track they need to be on and they simply take up ground faster rather than you apply more pressure and they just leave because they don't really understand right. what their job is. They're not dialed in as you said. And so I was actually, when I was working in Ohio, I was explaining that. Uh, to another person and it was in the context of a turnaround under saddle where You want the horse so dialed in on where their feet need to go that only then do they have the confidence that when you start adding Pressure and asking for speed that you don't just lose everything You've got you've got to get them confident on the track They need to be on first get that dialed in then you can add more steps and increase speed Alright now let's get into the kind of the main body of the podcast and the the big subject that we wanted to really break down and discuss. And, uh, you know, we'll take about 15 minutes, maybe a little bit longer. But we've been talking a lot lately and kind of dropping hints about our ideas on hindquarter control. And I'm going to let you elaborate more on this because it has more to do with the horses that you're riding right now for the Project Horse series. But it is such a fundamental core of our sort of Emerging philosophy and and the ideas that we're trying, and right. everything else in our program, it's an integral part. Sort of our ideas centered around quarter control. And I'll kind of preface this with something I put on Instagram that I think encapsulates our point of view. And then uh-huh. because you're working these two project horses right now, I'll let you expand on this. But basically, you know, there's different theories that both of us have been exposed to working with and for different people on hindquarter control, and especially. How much is appropriate to teach when? Like, how much is appropriate to teach young horses? How much hip control do you want to get on them? Right. And so, you know, some trainers we've been exposed to, they want like the bare minimum, almost none at all. Like, it's not desirable for some people to have like any hindquarter control whatsoever, almost. You know, they don't want the hips disengaged, they don't want you working on pushing the hip up. You know, they don't even want uh, to start two-tracking or side-passing, anything to do with leg yielding other than go forward and work on guiding exercises for the majority of that horse's two-year-old year. year. Um, To not do any hip control stuff, really, until they're three. And then other people, they start moving the hip around day one, they get the hindquarters disengaged, they're getting them really broke loose. But then we've also seen the tendency in some of those programs to then not, you know, want to want to maintain forward motion. Um, you kind of lose focus on where the what the rest of the horse's body is doing and how they're right. carrying themselves. They get
1: stuck in a track in a way.
0: Yes, and you know you get the hindquarters really broke loose and isolated, and you don't maintain everything else. Mm-hmm. And so that creates some bad habits you have to deal with later. So. We're big believers in trying more of a balance between the two extremes where we're all about establishing hip control from day one with a horse, but also being mindful of what they're doing with the rest of their body, how they're carrying themselves, maintaining impulsion. And that's a tough balance to find. It is. And that's why it's. I can see why people want to separate the two and only do one or the other, especially when they're trying to train assistants or, or help, you know, or just anybody in like a clinic scenario, it's tough to grasp the balance because it takes a little bit of feel and each horse is different. And so it's a difficult learning curve as a horseman to really understand what a horse needs in that particular scenario. Um, But our theory overall is that it's something that young horses especially need a lot of exposure to. Hip control, being taken a hold of, being, you know, having to carry themselves uh, in a way that, um, you know, just like maintaining body control. I don't know exactly how best to term it, but it's, it's like the general idea of I can take a hold of you, I can move your hips around, I can move your rib cage here, I can soften you up, and having the horse accept that and be used to it and not be nervous about it Or have, you know, basically be looking for a fight, just Mm -hmm. being relaxed about being taken a hold of, having their body parts moved around, etc. And in our experience, oftentimes what happens is you you, if you don't build their confidence like that, um, then you run into problems down the road. Because then you you need all that on, you know, if they're going to be a futurity horse, you need that in their three year old year. And we've seen a lot of people wait and wait and wait until the horse turns three. And then all of a sudden the rules and the expectations change majorly. Mm -hmm. And it leads to a lot of fights where, you know, it's a lot more work to get that on a horse in the beginning and you have to know what you're doing, but it, over the long term, because it builds that horse's confidence in the early stages and sets the tone for their career,
1: it almost makes your job easier as you go forward. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's, you know, um, it's quite fitting that this came up for this podcast because uh, just yesterday I was on the phone with a good friend friend of mine who rides down in Texas, and uh, he was he goes to a lot of you know uh, shows in the area and schools his horses and stuff like that, and so he'll be he's exposed to some other other trainers um, in that kind of area that he's in, and you know they'll be watching him ride, and a lot of his warm up he does a lot of isolating that hip. Um, on this one particular horse and he was telling me that um, he had a couple people that noticed what he was doing and they were like commenting that you know they liked what they saw and the horse looked really broke but they also said it was kind of advice to him as a younger trainer like now make sure that uh, you know that you're careful with how much you do that because you don't want to teach these horses something that you won't use in the show pen. And I thought that was a very like eye-opening quote. You know, I mean, yes. because you're never going to, unless you have like a AQHA trail horse, you're never going to have to move their hip around in the show pen to that ex- to that dramatically, exactly to the extreme that he was doing. Yes, I truly believe, and everyone has their opinion on stuff like this. I truly believe that it is invaluable that hip control. I mean, you know, the way I look at it. You know, in my, in my theory behind it, I guess, is that all, almost all maneuvers that you may ever do, they're all generated from that hindquarters. That's the start of everything. And if you have that controlled, and you've taught that horse from a young age, this is—we're gonna sound like a broken record with this point—but <laughs> yes. a young horse, their when you're starting them, their mind is like play-doh. And not only do they not know what the rules are yet, but they're looking for you to set the rules show them where the lines are just like a just like a little kid you know they're looking to you for direction okay if I do this is that right if I do this is that right type of a thing and when you show them at that young age okay think your way through the situation if you're put in a bind think your way through it give to the pressure soften you teach them they don't need to fight their way through it, it goes such a long way in the future you know in my belief and I think that the hindquarters is probably one of the most important ones because not only does it set them up for everything else you're going to do, but it's one of the, you know, earliest and easiest ways to start teaching them just that theory of when I handle pressure. You don't need to fight your way through pressure. And I think that's such a big thing with horses moving forward. When you see it all the time with horses that you you know, people grab the bridle and they're they're going to collect the horse up at the lope. And so technically they're softening its ribcage and pulling on his face, and the horse then flips its head upside down and runs off. Mm-hmm. Well, where did that really start? At the hindquarters. That's all, it's all horse that's rearing up. You know, they're trying to back it up and the horse is rearing up. The horse that has lead change problems, it drags a hind lead or they go to change leads like, it'll be interesting to see if we can get tangle to the point where we can start changing leads because she has this problem. Uh, at least I'm told thus far that she, when you go to change leads, it's adios amigo, right. and she's gone. So um, it'll be interesting to see how you know she handles that, and if we can get it on video. But it all comes back to the hindquarters. This that mare has so little hindquarter control; it's not even funny. Yes, and some of the biggest fights that we've
0: seen, uh, in well, in my experience, and I'm sure in yours, have been a result of. You know trying to drive the horse up to the bridle move their hip up what have you while maintaining forward motion and because that horse doesn't understand how to be picked up on and and supple themselves like that while still tracking forward and driving up to the bridle that leads to giant fights because they don't know how to accept being put in that bind right they're not comfortable there and when you start challenging them like that if you've not introduced it up to that point and now you've got a big three-year-old on your hands that's a lot stronger yes and now you're surprising them with this it causes a huge issue
1: and I think you know another benefit of the hindcourt is that that is not so much along the lines of getting them to handle a bind and whatnot, is when you're doing a, a, like a turnaround on a horse, a lot of the horses we get in for training, they're not all show horses. We get in a lot of people that you know have a horse that has problems on the trail. They just want a nice trail riding horse and you know they send it to us and they're like, okay, you know, put eight weeks on it and just get him really broke so I can go out there and trail ride or whatever. And all those horses, we teach them to turn around. And b- we do that because it really, if you can spin a horse around you're really redirecting their feet in an extreme way and you know some of them that we get aren't maybe the most talented and so they're not going to turn around great but we do it anyways because it's that mental game So let's say we're loping down the trail and we have a horse that's chronically spooky and they're just looking for things to spook at that turnaround is a great thing to use when they spook at something and you can redirect that feet in that extreme of a fashion it's a it's amazing what it does to these horses minds. Um, when you can teach them that turnaround and get that control with their feet redirecting it that way well if you don't have a horse that can turn around the hindquarters almost gets to that point too it's one of those exercises that all that works almost as not quite as good as the turnaround but when you don't have that button yet it is a valuable ally it's amazing how if you can teach one to really soften that hip round and like a disengage it's amazing what it does for them mentally yes it's it's kind of like, I don't even want to describe it as an e-brake, but it's like a, a
0: take control button. Like it yeah, just exactly. It, it's like a shortcut directly to their mind and the engine of everything that's going on. Yes. And it's like, you can immediately, you know, it's like, I guess in that scenario, kind of like pushing the clutch in on a car, right? Which I've heard it described that way, but it's also the throttle too. Yes. Like you take a hold of them right there, redirect energy. Um, you you're, then on track to get that horse's mind relaxed, calm down, get their attention back on you while also doing something constructive and in that trail scenario, staying safe on that horse. Yes. And so, you know, like you were saying horses, we get in for just general training that aren't in the performance program that we, you know, wouldn't really try to turn around. They still benefit from a lot of hindquarter control. Yes. Um, and it just, like you said, it just messes with their head to where if you can pick them up and, and move them around like that off your leg and they do that willingly, you get to that stage, it's like their mind just becomes a lot more pliant, I guess, to what you're doing, and they just become accepting of more stuff rather than, you know, react automatically being worried about your leg pressuring them back there or, you know, being a little bit miffed that you're moving them off your leg, right. stuff like that. So, but anyway, um, so. I'm going to ask you about specifically on Lutheran tangle Mm -hmm. recently, you know, um, obviously in our program, we start kind of from the same square one, which is, you know, disengaging the hindquarters, teaching the very basics of isolating that hip and moving it around off your leg. We get into some side passing, which, you know, introduces a little, it's more about the the hindquarters, I think, than the rib cage even. Right. Um, but obviously you've got all those parts and the shoulder kind of incorporated in there. Um, we do some two tracking at various stages. We work on moving that hip around while the horse is tracking forward. Um, but is there any specific, anything specifically you wanted to mention that you've been doing with these project horses in that department
1: that you thought was noteworthy? Well, tangle, not so much right now. And, you know, we'll, you know, go in depth with that for sure, like, in the in the video, but, you know, for here as well. Um, her, I've tested it out to see what I've got in that department because of, you know, all the horror stories that I've heard. Right. But And the attitude. Yes. But right now, I'm not even worrying about that. Um, that's the last thing on my mind with her. Um, it's all with her is just about teaching her. To begin to start handling pressure and reprogram her way of thinking, which is, you know, brace for a fight in every department. Right. So that's the last thing on my mind right now is any sort of body control. Uh, Luther. Yes, I am. uh, I'm working a lot with, you know, or starting to work a lot more with body control with him. Um, the big thing with him is really getting him kind of lined out with his head and neck and not so over anticipatory But then now that I'm taking a little less bend in this head and neck and asking him You know even at the jog just to go in, in circles But kind of bigger circles with not so much bend He not quite sure where to put himself and how to travel because it's almost like a new thing for him It's it's totally different than having his head bent all the way around so now I'm having to teach him how to move his body with his head at you know, like a 30, 45 degree angle bent, rather than all the way around at like 90. So I've been doing a lot of um, really with him though, not so much you know disengaging like in a 360 or something, but with him on the circle, he's always unsure of where to go. And so his hip will be the inside of the circle and then to the outside, and his shoulder will be the inside, and then to the outside. So with him really, it's trying to get him to move off my inside leg, almost move that hip to the outside of the circle because he wants to kind of track around kind of cockeyed with his shoulder to the outside of the circle. His rib cage is like on a 45 on the circle and his hip is to the inside. So with him, I'm just, I'm more doing you know, suppling with his hindquarters but just pushing it back up straight and teaching him how to carry himself. And then once we can accomplish that and I get that head and neck a little more lined out then I can start doing some more body control and getting that hip engaged, like on a straight line, yielding it on a straight line, and side passing and stuff like that, right? And um, you know, obviously, we want to keep the podcast relatively short.
0: We want to go. We don't want to go too off, yes. you know, into an hour-long diatribe. But this, we're going to sound going forward like a broken record on this because so many things in our program
1: come back having a lot of hip control on our horses and, and that's a good here i uh, sorry to interject I just one other last point for luther and tangle um luther as well you know with what i've been doing as far as introducing moving that hip back up into a straight line this horse has had about a year previously of riding and had a lot of the foundation level stuff done mm-hmm. this thing has a lot of you know disengaging at least on a 360 and so it's made so much of this so much easier and his tolerance for pressure is so much higher than tangles who's had hardly any right and
0: that's something we really want to stress is right. that you know this horse it's things that we're working on that are a natural learning curve for most horses although how they specifically handle certain things is going to be different you right know, mm-hmm. based on their personality their physicality everything else but overall we really would prefer a lot of horses to be like the situation that Luther's in, where he's had a lot of high and quarter, you know, disengage, just a lot of good foundation work, right. to get him broke loose and soft, and now it makes our job a lot easier to get him to, you know, to basically put that, put those body parts together in a collected package, and go set up the basics for eventually training on maneuvers. Right. All right. So I just want to segue into one little mini segment to kind of set something up that's going to be, I think, a, th- a through-thread. Uh, I've heard that term used before. Uh, a kind of a thread going forward. This hindquarter thing is big for us, but also a, a real strong tangent along those same lines is where hindquarter control plays into teaching a horse to turn around. And, you know, there's different schools of thought on it. Some people say, you know, disengage the hindquarters, bring the front end through. Other people, say, you know, kind of drive the horse forward, kind of spiral him down in there, but then you've got to maintain that hip and prevent it from just kind of, you know, prevent that hip from just being lost to the outside. And so in our experience though, different horses require different things. Some of them actually really benefit, especially kind of the stiffer, bigger bodied, kind of duller, lazier horses, a lot of which have a tendency to that hip always is kind of stuck to the inside and it's kind of always in their way and where they benefit from, you know, sort of really moving that hind quarters out of the way versus horses that lose it to the outside that need to understand how to drive that hip up underneath themselves, stay more balanced and not just kind of, you know, Coke bottle spin around and lose the hip. So it's something we want to elaborate on going forward. But again, we're going to sound like a broken record On this hip control thing because it is so important to us at least we believe in our program and a lot of things that we're trying revolve around that absolutely so we're very interested to hear other people's thoughts on this because like I said there's so many different schools of thought out there and what works for one horse you can't necessarily just copy and paste to the next one it takes a little bit of finesse and there's some gray areas so that would make for a good discussion um, you know in the comments I guess what is your thoughts on that and and is there anything specifically you'd like us to relate on as far as how hindquarter control relates to different exercises like what we look for in a side pass what we look for in the turnaround like i just mentioned how that plays into changing leads you know mention different things that even though our project horses aren't yet to the level where we're Working on those things specifically right. that we can address and answer questions about so that would make for a good uh, going forward Q&A a common theme there in the other stuff that we're going to be addressing is questions concerning those things and how they pertain to high quarter control.
1: Yep. All
0: right. Well, I think we've covered some good ground. Obviously, we've got a long way to go. We've got like a tsunami of content that's just <laughs> waiting to for us to take the bridle off and get going with this. And unfortunately it you know our distribution channels aren't really wide and and up and humming yet so we struggle to get this stuff out there and we appreciate those of you who've followed us ever since we made this jump to start our own operation we appreciate every comment every like every share every interaction we get with you guys every listen even even if it's just one person listening to this podcast and they liked it um,
1: that is all that we need yes. to know that somebody got value out of it. there's tons of it there's tons of opinions out there in the horse industry and so if you know at least if one thing we said maybe one person that turned a light bulb on for them then that was a success it, you know it, and we really appreciate the feedback because that's going to help us make this better you know we're we're new in this type of thing and so we got a lot of feedback from the last podcast and you know we really you know, encourage you guys to let us know if, if what you liked, what you didn't like, you know, whatever. We love the feedback because it's going to help us shape where this goes in the future. Absolutely. So, with that,
0: we're going to kind of sign off here on this episode. Obviously, a lot more to come, but we appreciate you guys that are listening and interacting with us on social media. It's awesome. Um, to borrow a phrase from somebody else your comments your interactions your likes are our oxygen it's what really gets us driven to do this and makes it enjoyable but at the end of the day it's not about the numbers it's just about knowing that somebody is potentially getting value from what we're doing and and hopefully we can continue getting
1: better at delivering value going forward right well you're gonna need some of that oxygen because I think there's some snow shoveling in your future oh yes yes well we better
0: get outside and do that righty. <laughs> alright this is Jake Lundahl Luke Lundahl as well signing off hello and welcome to the project horse podcast my name is Jake Lundahl I'm joined here with my brother Luke and we've got quite a bit of important stuff to go over today Uh, First of all, I want to introduce, we've finally been able to debut a project that we've been really excited about, which is our Q&A, and more specifically our video Q&A series, where we've had uh, one lady in particular that's kind of started us off and broke the ice, and we've had several others submit videos of themselves riding, as well as questions on performance horse-related stuff. Um, more specifically the turnaround is what we've been getting the most that has come up a lot lately yes and so we're very excited we've been able to do some voiceover help for a couple QA Q&A videos answer some more questions some of you who follow our Facebook page might have seen that we you know we put some effort into trying to provide as detailed answers and help as we could and we've got more videos and more posts like that on the way so the links to the youtube channel are up on the facebook page or you can just go to youtube the app or youtube.com type in lundahl in the search bar and boom our videos will come up the there's just two right now but like i said there's more on the way and that you know we want to extend an invitation to everybody out there, everybody listening, everybody that follows us on social, to send us training questions, whether it's by Facebook, email. If you want us to do video Q and A, if you're okay with us, uh, you know, critiquing you by video, giving you pointers, etc., and putting that on YouTube, that's another. That's a really great and effective way to get questions answered, and it's something we're very excited to start doing. So we want to extend an invitation to people out there to send us training questions. And there's a couple of big ideas behind this. We want to go way more in-depth than a lot of people are willing to go on different subjects like turnarounds because we want to put out a ton of useful advice that's that people actually care about and uh, not waste time with stuff like, you know, what's uh, what color of split boots are best or something like that. Like, <laughs> right, you, right. you were saying you were reading um, some Performance Horse magazine.
1: Yes, and- well, yeah, it, it's, um, you know, it kind of caught me, it really touched a note for me personally because I remember um, getting this one magazine um, that was I don't remember what exactly it was called but it was had to do with performance horses solely and I remember opening it up and I was excited to maybe see what you know they had with some stops and some turns or maybe some circling tips or something like that and I opened it up and the fir- like the title article of this magazine is on how this guy likes the people he hires, how he likes them to release and catch horses in their stalls, how he likes them to bridle and unbridle the horse. Just, I mean, yes, that's incredibly important information, yes, but there's so much of that already out there, and it was, you know, it really had nothing to do with, you know, performance horse maneuvers. Reminds me of a video I saw on YouTube as well, and I think it aired on RFD, where this
0: guy had his assistant demo not how to saddle a horse properly, but how to carry a (laughs) saddle around properly. Like, okay, that might be important to know in a certain context, but come on, people want tips on circling, turnarounds, stopping, like hardcore tactical stuff. And so we're willing to try to, as we build this project, take the time to pour out as much help and as much advice and information as we can. Um, And people are like, well, you're doing all this for free. It's taking so much of your time. Um, It's like, yes, but there's something in it for us as well. Like there is a selfish aspect, which is we're constantly refining and building this content as we go. We're still getting the hang of this audio thing. And we're challenging ourselves to do this because we want to with everyone's help by submitting questions, it's forcing us to change the way we speak and explain this stuff and make it more concise, more palatable, and just better. It's forcing us to come up with more clear, concise language patterns, because the way we talk naturally in person, face-to-face, is very casual. We tend to explain things in a very roundabout way, uh, which works good in person. Uh, We can explain things well face-to-face, but doing the audio only, it's a whole new ballgame. Yes, yes. We're trying to up our game, make that better. So for those of you out there listening, please, please, please take advantage of this opportunity because almost no one in the industry actually does this and pours this much time into Q&A for free. Um, And like I said, you'll be helping us with
1: our ongoing broadcast training as well right we're getting just as much out of this really you know as you guys are and hopefully you know these q a videos you know we want to do our absolute best to give you the advice that we see and the changes or tactics we might use and again, it's you know hopefully there's something in that that you find of value because the horse industry, as I'm sure everybody knows, is full of opinions. Everyone has their own way that they like to do things, how they like it to look, how they like to, to feel, all of that. So we're just offering our opinions and our ideas, our theories, and hopefully there's something in those videos that you find of value. Exactly. Hopefully something that resonates with you
0: or gets you to maybe see things in a different way or put a new perspective that you didn't have before. So we're very excited about that. Alright, now let's get into one of the big subjects we wanted to talk about, and this was the one thing, like I mentioned before, it's come up so much in Q&A recently, and we've been doing a lot of talking about this, so we might as well recap and summarize a lot of the tips we've given by video and also written form on turnarounds. And I'll kind of let you handle the bulk of this, Luke, because you've been doing the the bulk of the video Q&A so far. Um, But you especially and for people again, I invite you to go check out our Facebook. All the links are there We're not going to go into extreme depth and detail on this podcast, but the videos are out there Um, But you wanted to talk more about the mental aspect of the turnaround You had some things to say on that. So I'll kind of let you take the reins there,
1: right? well, um, well I would say before I get into the mental aspect I want to kind of set up you know the general kind of just of the problems that we've been getting so far are the turnaround questions. We've gotten mm-hmm. a lot about horses that are swapping ends; they're not staying planted with their hind end in the spin. Um, they are not um, they're not stepping around cleanly. They're really striding out and forward with especially their their inside leg and they're overall just having trouble with speed and uh, with cadence in the horse's feet. And one of the biggest things, you know, me personally, that I learned when I when I got the privilege to go work for someone that strictly worked on just reining horses and getting to see that side of it was the way he approached the turn. The biggest thing I learned is was balance, really, for me. And it was setting the horse up in the most efficient way possible, so that he can turn the most efficiently with the most precision. And doing that is to get. Him, his rib cage and hindquarters up underneath of himself. A lot of the videos that were submitted to us that we use for the video Q&A, and you'll see that if you go and watch them, is horses that were turning, and especially when the horse's hip is to the camera and their head is away, you can really see it there. And it's something that I, you know, for the longest time was not even remotely aware of. But just doing it and understanding that feel and having someone there to show me so I can physically see it, then the light bulb clicked. But you can see these horses as they're turning, their rib is hung way to the outside of that spin. And a lot of the problems that people having with a horse that's swapping ends or, or all their weights on their front end or they're reaching out instead of back and around it all comes down to the horse is way out of balance because his rib cage is hanging so far to the side. And if they could get him to straighten that up, bring that rib cage up underneath of him, it would put him in a more, you know, like almost like you know, if you were playing football, the coach would say, get in an athletic position. That's what it comes down to. You need that rib cage up underneath of him, so it puts him in an athletic position and allow him to turn with some efficiency. Exactly. That's, but the mental aspect was something that I found to be the most important in the turnaround. The body is nice. The body is incredibly important. You have to have him balanced up underneath of himself to make the whole turn work. But his mind is really where you get most of the you know, the work done. It's not so much about, in the beginning, I'd say on like a younger Colt, you have to work on the body and show him where to be, show him how to step around. But as they get a little bit older and as you look to refine it, it honestly really comes down to getting him to turn and take responsibility for his body, which is all in the mind. And that's um, the horses that we saw. I can't remember. Um, it was Francis, I believe, was the Q&A video number one, right? And uh, her horse. Um, one of the pieces of advice I gave her was to work on the start of her turn a lot more because this horse, as he was stepping around, he would kind of bow his rib cage to the outside. So that was one of the problems. Yes but he would also kind of step to the side and a little bit forward as he stepped around. And that was really the horse mentally thinking out of the turn, like he he didn't really, he wasn't committed to staying with her and in that turn. He would rather be walking out of it, but he knew well enough in the turn that he wasn't supposed to leave it. So physically his body was still in the spin, yes, but mentally he was like begging to walk out of it. He was just you know, kind of doing it half-heartedly. Exactly, yeah. and you, you know you could see, and I, ma- I made a comment in the video as well, that she was kind of pulling him into the turn and holding on to him throughout the turn. And I guarantee if she would have turned him loose and let him just spin, that he probably would have gotten really strung out, meaning he really would have shifted his weight to his front end or possibly even walked out of it. But he was kind of being held in there and so he really didn't have to think about what he was doing. He was just kind of going through the motions. But he rather would have been elsewhere. So he mentally wasn't really with her, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, like the biggest way I guess I can look at it as is, you know, like those, um, what are they called? The merry-go-rounds that they have on the playgrounds that the kids hop the on. The carousel. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. spins around. Well, if you hop on that and you have another kid starts running around it and spinning it and they get it really fast... Eventually, that momentum that's created will try and drag you off of the merry-go-round if you're sitting on it. And, and mm-hmm. if it goes too fast, well, eventually you'll just fly off. Well, it's kind of the same thing in that spin. The faster that horse goes, that momentum is like pulling you as the rider and his body forward out of that spin. And you want to have him mentally, you know, some people say dialed in or mentally with you enough that as he feels those forces kind of pulling against him, he knows to kind of push back and fight against it and knows he needs to stay in that turn completely which will go a long way in the mo- adding more speed and that turn not falling apart. I can't stress enough just how important the mental aspect of the spin really is. Um, the start of the spin is another big one. Getting him to understand when you just don't even touch him with the reins but just cue him with your outside leg behind the girth and he knows to step almost back and into the turn rather than forward, getting him to stay with you and basically wait for you to either tell him to stop or go or whatever, but it's all about getting him to mentally want to be in that turn. And honestly, the fix to it is, it's a bit, I mean, it's time consuming, it requires consistency, but it's, for the most part, quite simple. I mean, really, The hardest part is letting it kind of go to pot in a way. You have to let him fail and kind of fall apart and expose that uh that little hole there well like you put it in a good i thought it
0: was a good uh, way you that you described it which is you know the horse is kind of hanging that rib cage to the outside he's off balance he's not really trying to bring that shoulder through he's not he's just kind of half-heartedly stepping around just going through the motions but he's not really mentally dialed in and so when you start putting pressure on him to hey straighten that body up let's get that shoulder moved over. It's like it forces them to make a decision to where they can no longer hang around in limbo and it exposes their true psychology which is they're begging to leave that turn. So you start correcting those body issues and then the horse just wants to leave.
1: But at least you're forcing them to make a decision then you can effectively correct them. Exactly, yeah exactly. And that's the one thing that I really encourage with people to have horses that they can turn around is really get them good at turning on a loose rein and seeing what they've got there's uh, a lady that, that you recently answered a question for who said her horse was really heavy on its front end and it would swap ends really bad right and that's a lot of that is just a dead giveaway and, you know and again there there's some issues with the body it's probably not moving a shoulder well enough it's probably not real straight through his ribcage but a lot of that is just the horse mentally wanting to leave the turn and her probably as the rider Holding him in place all the time. Well, that's such a, a common issue, especially with the cow
0: horses. Who, you know, the the way that a lot of those trainers teach the turnaround is very different. They're completely terrified of having that horse too sucked back. So oftentimes they really overemphasize the fact that you need to have forward motion and drive that horse's shoulder through the turn. Right. And oftentimes, if the horse hasn't learned that body control and balance that they need, and how to actually use their hind end when you add speed they start swapping ends, or they're just used to being held in position with the reins to where you always have to be in their face and then their real mental desire is to, lean the, is to leave the turn and go out of it forward. So then they're basically just leaning into you, getting front end heavy. Right. And the whole thing just falls apart. So that wasn't a video Q&A. It would be nice to see video of that horse turning. Yes. But I can almost guarantee that it has different body control issues. It's, all, it's off balance. And the key thing I told her is when you correct this stuff, almost guaranteed that horse is going to start having that problem where they you know, the more pressure you apply and you go to put him on a loose rein to really see what you have and challenge him, that he's gonna leave that turn because he's not actually mentally dialed in. But at least you can start correcting that psychology at that point
1: once you've got the horse more balanced. Yes, yes, and that's, you know, really the underlying cause of a lot of the issues is that they're just not mentally with you in the turn. But for that lady in particular, you know, I would say put that horse on a loose rein and let him make that mistake, even like, That horse with all that weight on his front end is just begging to leave the turn, but he knows well enough that he shouldn't walk out of it. So he's kind of half committing to staying in the turn, half committing to leaving. So in a situation like that, I'd say use a little bit more leg and just get him to make a decision. You know, Like you said, don't hang around in limbo. And then when he does leave, let him leave on a loose rein. Let him make that decision for himself, bring him back a couple steps start it again. Let him leave, bring him back a couple steps, start him again. Let him leave and repeat that and get him to understand that he is responsible for himself. I think that's probably the biggest thing as far as the mental side of the turn, is it all comes down to you need to make the horse responsible for himself. That's yes. kind of what it comes down to. And so sometimes, yes, you need to fix the body, go in there and you know straighten things up, soften him up, whatever. But that only goes so far if you're always there, always telling him what to do. You have to make him think for himself. It's always an
0: interesting phenomenon to see people with younger horses that have them turning really good, like as a two-year-old especially early on because the horse is talented. But they're, you know, obviously the horse isn't really dialed in and knows the track they need to be on. So you're running all their body parts, you're keeping them in the turn, etc. But the key is, in order to get some finesse on that maneuver, you've got to move beyond a training psychology. You've got to start making the horse take more responsibility. Because too many people always are there kind of holding the horse together in that turn, never challenging him to take responsibility for himself, maintain his balance, and then you end up down the line with a horse with
1: these bad habits. Yes, because he never learns how to take responsibility. He rather, he learns that he doesn't need to take responsibility. And so then when you do try to change the program, it's a huge meltdown because it's something that's totally foreign to it, Absolutely. So uh, just to recap that, there's way more detail
0: that we've already put out on Facebook and we've barely even dipped our toe into the kind of content we want to release on the Q&A. So go ahead and check that out. All right, let's get into our final little segment for this podcast where we kind of talk about an overview on our ideas about collection, our ideas, our theories. Um, And this is really gonna dovetail when we start talking more about transitions and stuff, but it also relates to the turnaround, which we've discussed so Mm -hmm. much already as well. Um, And just our idea of collection being more about teaching good mental patterns in a horse than getting a soft look and feel, which is important, absolutely, no doubt. But it's more about getting the horse mentally soft, teaching good thought patterns and behavior patterns on how the horse is handling pressure. Um, And that's come up so much in everything that we've discussed with these project horses. It's an absolute cornerstone of of sort of our philosophy and training. And it's a difficult concept to explain, but you know, Like for example, there's a lot of horsemen that talk about softening a horse's head and neck at the pole, and it's very subtle, it's not really for us about lowering the head and neck, getting the body in a certain position, that's all a byproduct of a mental component and a physical. And the physical element is the horse is softening. For example, if you're going around, like if you're loping a fast circle, the horse has got to be soft in the rib cage. They're driving their hindquarters up to the bridle. They're soft, they're staying in frame. Um, And you're you're not pulling the horse's face back to you and compressing his body. You're driving him up to the bridle or you've put it, described it as up over the bridle, drive him up into his face, whatever. You're bringing that body up underneath you and he's soft, and that's—it's again a subtle difference, but it's very—it's a very important distinction. You've got that physical component of everything we do in our training—the lateral flexion, the bending, everything—creating softness and control in the body. But it's more about the mental game, and we're in everything that we're doing from the very beginning of the program. We're really concerned and obsessed with breaking loose mental blocks of resistance. To pressure and teaching mindset teaching good mental patterns on how that horse needs to respond to pressure how they think their way through situations you know it, we, it's been said many times before that training is really about exposing a horse to pressure putting them mentally in a bind and then allowing that horse to figure it out rinse and repeat and you continually build their confidence in stages as you go as you go forward and it, it's all a mental process of teaching that horse to not immediately resist, immediately overreact when you expose him to that pressure. It's about teaching mental, as we call it, mental softness and pliability and and the horse accepting what you're doing and staying relaxed rather than getting stiff, getting worried, overreacting. And it's a huge component of what we do from day 1 pretty much. And so, you know, a lot of people you know, they they are after the feel, they're after the look, you know, the horse is putting its head down, which that's really not collection, but that's sort of the byproduct of it, is right. that the horse is in frame, they look good going around, they, they, you know, everyone's
1: obsessed with getting that look, but no one is playing the mental game. Right, and it really, the look is like, when we go and, you know, loping around, softening a horse up, or taking hold of his face, basically, are we worried about getting that neck down and getting him off the bridle? No, that's the last thing on our mind. Like you said, we're, all, we're working on softening up and exposing the mental resistance and working through that. A horse that droops their old neck down and they're, so, they're you pick up on them and it's like melted butter in your hands. That All that is a byproduct of someone that's gone through the work, put in the effort, and remove those blocks of resistance in their mind and has a now Willing horse who has good mental pattern the, the horse has developed good mental patterns the horse is relaxed They're not scared. You know that you know You pick up and you feel some heaviness or resistance and you're gonna knock them off it with the reins They're they're relaxed and they're confident in you taking a hold of them. It's it's just a it's all mental I don't even know how how much more we can stress this, but it will almost seem like a broken record in a way. This is the third podcast, and how much of this have we talked about already? Just about handling pressure, setting them up for success by creating mental habits when they're young. I mean, it, it's just such an important topic that comes up in everything. Absolutely. And the reason we're hammering on this yet again is because we
0: finally, finally, have the first video like actual legit video for the project horse series is going to <laughs> yes. is going to finally debut this week it's hallelujah been, we've had a hell of a time getting this thing together <laughs> it was a lot more difficult project than we anticipated to say the least but we are finally going to get video up this week and uh, we're actually going to work more on the voice aspect of it tonight as a matter of fact but when people see these horses and especially Tangle and when we start like in our next podcast and in the videos, we're going to be talking about transitions and all these other things that we're doing to Kind of iron out these rough mental patches where the horse as soon as you go to pick them up bend them around Take a hold of them do things with them uh, Or challenge them in any way that they react negatively they they get they get stiff they get defensive they're not relaxed and accepting of what you're doing. They're not accepting of what you're doing with your legs, how you're maneuvering them around, etc. People are going to see that and they're going to see you taking a hold of the horse's face and have the wrong conclusion no fault of theirs, by the way that you're all about getting this horse's head in the correct position. And when Tangle tries to climb up out of the bridle or any of our horses we document in the series for that matter You know, they get a little bit stiff They start to climb up out of the bridle because they don't like what we're doing with their legs However, we're maneuvering them, etc. We start doing that stuff people see us see that they see us having contact with the horse's mouth And they're thinking well, he's just trying to pull the head down You know, he's just trying to, to get this horse's head down and that is absolutely The last thing on our minds, you know, we've got to have contact there trying to drive the horse up to the bridle and get them soft But ultimately we're playing a mind game of how is this horse going to handle
1: pressure and trying to get them to accept what we're doing there and Yes, exactly. I just wanted to jump in real quick while it was fresh in my mind before I forget it, which I will is Tangle is such a good example of this for this video because, you know, using the mind game in, in that regard because yes, I want to start suppling that body and removing those mental blocks, but there's so many other mental blocks that I have to get through first just to get to that. She's almost like, rather than getting the source in for training and start working on, you know, suppling a rib cage, suppling her hindquarters, removing those mental blocks to move into maneuvers, I first just have to work through the mental blocks to let me even begin working on her body and supple. Like, I love body control as much as anybody. I mean, I'm team suppleness. I just, you know, I'm probably Jake, you're the same way. I love love it. But, a like, Tangle is perfect for this subject because before I can even get to that, because, believe me, we need that. <laughs> but <laughs> before I can even get there, I have to get through these other... She's, she's like defenses on the beach. Like, I've got to get through the water defenses first before I can get on land and start moving through those defenses, if that makes sense. Exactly.
0: And that's... it's Again, it's a very subtle difference. People might be like, well, that's completely irrelevant. But no, it the, the philosophy, the outlook, from our perspective, there's a huge difference between going for getting the maneuver done and how things look versus teaching that horse to be mentally accepting and relaxed about what we're asking and that pressure that we're applying. Teaching those response patterns in the horse and making them relaxed and confident. And Like you've always said, and the saying holds true, a horse is never gonna be truly soft until they're relaxed. And so much of our program is Yes, even if we are maneuvering their hindquarters around, taking a hold of them, softening their rib cage, etc., you know, it's not about the body control or the maneuvers per se. It's about them accepting that pressure and being relaxed about it. And that's the awareness you have to have if you're gonna have polish on anything is not just getting it done and basing your success on the appearance. It's, is this horse relaxed and confident about what I'm doing? Not just, can I get them in this position and get them to look like this right now? And that's, it's, again, it's a subtle thing. Maybe this, maybe I didn't frame it the right way. Maybe this isn't an effective, uh, you know, way to discuss it. I don't know. I hope those of you out there listening can kind of understand where we're going with this. Because, like I said, it perfectly dovetails into a lot of our ideas about transitions you know, softening the horse down, making dramatic transitions in speed, driving them up to the bridle, keeping that body collected and together, staying relaxed. That's what we're after, but it's, it's you know, less about the look. It's somewhat about the feel, but the look and the feel is just a byproduct
1: of them mentally being soft and accepting and relaxed about what we're doing. Right, right. And just for context, too, I want to, you know, make sure it's very clear that, what we're talking about isn't some <laughs> witch's brew. This is, you know, Wonderland. Like if you if you do everything perfectly and get their bodies super soft and supple and you know do some sort of you know voodoo with their mind, no, everything is perfect. It no. absolutely is ugly at times. Exactly. There, You're gonna go through rough patches or ugliness or whatever. You're gonna you're gonna push the horse and you're gonna do things that you can't prepare fully for and the horse is going to be pushed out of the comfort zone and things are going to fall apart a little bit, but your job as the horseman, the rider, is to do your very best to put in the hard work beforehand to prepare him as best as you can. You set him up for success As best as possible so when you do push him to where he's not he's out of his comfort zone he at least has something to fall back on and it should be a little ugliness a little resistance and then you you work through it and you come to the daylight on the other side rather than not setting up for success and just say all right let's do it and then Mm -hmm. you have a big old battle on your hands but by no means is it this little magic, well, if you do this, everything's perfect. No, we don't don't have a, you know, 30 volume book series on Amazon to buy for (laughs)
0: $300 on horsemanship and feel, you know, but it's, it's simple, but it's profound. There's a lot of ways that people have talked about this same exact thing, but it's so fundamental into what we're doing with the young horses that don't have a lot of problems, still, from day one, everything we do, whether it's a lot of disengaging the hindquarters, bending them around, softening the head and neck, lateral flexion, yes, we're softening them and getting more control, but we're teaching good mental habits all along the way. And you brought it up, like, Tangle's a great example of an older horse we get in to where we have an extra layer of beach defenses in (laughs) front of us where we have to first work on the psychology of, please accept Pressure when I wrap my legs around you or go to take a hold of you and steer you this way, don't get all bent out of shape. Once that's finally taken care of, then you actually have to go train the horse's body, all the while also still playing that mind game right. of, you know, push them a little bit out of their comfort zone, get them relaxed and confident about it, then push the envelope a little bit further. And it's a constant building process that gets very ugly at times. And so we wanted to talk about this because, like I said, it perfectly sets up our ideas about transitions where um, you know we're kind of a little bit, I wouldn't say unique, but we're in the minority of how we think about that and how that applies to show horses and how we use that in our training. And so we're excited to dive into that. But we wanted to preface it with this discussion about just mental softness in a horse and teaching good patterns on how that horse accepts and responds to pressure, and that being the primary focus of what we're doing, not necessarily how it looks or how the horse is moving around. So with that, I'll just kind of cap this off here. I wanna thank you guys for listening. Every like, every listen, we really appreciate it. Thank you guys for tuning in. Until next time, signing off.